0: Welcome to Zilla Food. Zilla is the German word for soul. So soul food, but Zila food. This podcast is in conjunction with Zeila Magazine, an online magazine bridging faith, cultures, and culture. I'm Ali Porte, an American Southern girl who travels and loves talking to people. I'm bringing you conversations from global movers and shakers from somewhere in the world. From these conversations, hopefully you'll be inspired to move and shake too. Thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you get fed, so let's begin. Recently, I chatted with Katie McKenzie. Uh, She's a creative and uh, manages an office space in the Washington, D.C. area. And we actually grew up together in Columbia, South Carolina and went to the same church. Um, And we had this wonderful chat about what's going on in the United States right now with all of the the race tension that really has been there for hundreds of years. And now because of the death of George Floyd and the death of so many other African American men and uh, America is now getting woken up with the tension and with the protests and the riot, riots that have happened that it's it's causing us all to look at ourselves um and i wanted to invite Katie on the podcast as uh, she had shared on an instagram post where you know sometimes through discussions we could be misunderstood um And for the historically, the systematic subjugated one, the black people, we can sometimes be very emotional and we have a right to be emotional and hurt, but we don't have, we shouldn't be emotional to the point where we're not able to sit down and have conversations Amongst ourselves and also with our white counterparts and you know, just other Americans to to listen and to hear Other people's viewpoints. So that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to have Katie on to just talk and For us to to both hear each other out about how we're viewing the current situation in America. So um, enjoy this chat with an African-American and a white American uh, woman from South Carolina to hear our thoughts on these issues. All right, so Katie, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much for
1: the invitation.
0: Of course. So, you know, the purpose of today's podcast is just to discuss, just have a conversation. We both come from the state of South Carolina. Um, We both consider ourselves very American, very South Carolinian, Southern values, Southern culture and everything. But we're realizing that with the situation happening in our country at the moment, that there's a lot of wounds and hurt, I think, on both sides. It's not just Blacks that are wounded, I think the nation is wounded as a whole, and that means everybody, no matter what your your race is or background. however, I don't uh, dismiss that blacks have been you know oppressed and subjugated for like four hundred in one years, and that means that there is t- now it's time not only for whites to just hear, but to listen and to also speak up um, and, and be a part of this change. So I would just like, like to start off this conversation by, can you talk a little bit about your background? You're from South Carolina. How have you always seen race and blacks in your experiences? Yeah,
1: so that's something that I have Definitely been trying to f- reflect on these past couple weeks and what um, I was exposed to through childhood, um, and it's really interesting when I think about um, you know my family and where we grew up and kind of the values that we were taught growing up, um, and so my family, one side of my family, were actually. Um, farmers, and I remember growing up and hearing stories about how my granddaddy was one of the very first teachers at in their uh, town to go and integrate into the black high school when um, integration started happening on the school level. And I remember always being really proud of um, my family in that, and then after that there i honestly don't even remember there being a lot of conversations surrounding um racial tension after that i when we studied south carolina history in school you would hear about um segregation and jim crow but then it ended and that's kind of where the narrative stopped And as a child, you're walking into a space where racism is over and it's been disbanded and you don't, you have to be, you know, told what's going on to be able to know what's going on around you. And to be completely honest, I grew up in a really predominantly white little bubble and wasn't exposed to a lot of things. Like I remember... I was a senior in high school before i it like sunk into my heart that there was actually injustice happening in the world, and the injustice that I was exposed to was international injustice, so it still wasn't even u s mm-hmm. um, and it's been a learning process to see that there's actually a lot of work to be done on the home front, and a lot of my um work has been in the international space, because it always felt like there were really tangible needs there. Um, But especially more recently, I'm just seeing that there's so much to be done and reconciled on the home front as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it's amazing that you speak of that bubble, because I think we're the same age, um, Mm -hmm. 32, me, and we grew up in the same church. And while we may have grown up in the same state in the same church being the same age, my experiences growing up, I think were a little bit, well, a lot different from yours in the sense that I found it to be I found it difficult growing up at the church that we both did, where I had uh, two kids in the youth group come up to me and say, uh, "Niggers aren't welcome here." I wasn't included in um the sleepovers that and I was the only black um at that time uh in the children and youth ministries like going full time there weren't other blacks or even indians or you know other uh non-whites I think at the time that I was going there, there was that one kid who I think was half black, half white. Um, But, and he was so kind, but I found it very challenging uh, being treated like that, not included with, to go to sleepovers of girls' houses. I felt like there was a different treatment and like going on like trips to Myrtle Beach. I remember once we went to Myrtle Beach and, Um, We were going to Subway for lunch and um, there were the same two guys had said, you know, you don't need to come and follow us. So I always felt like I was different and it it caused a wound in me. And I think that, of course, I wasn't sharing this with people for the longest until one time I went to the minister of music um, and shared with him what was happening and he just walked away. I remember the Sunday I confronted him sharing some examples and he just walked away. So then that caused me to rebel against the youth ministry. Gosh, when did you start 13, 14 years old? That I no longer did youth activities. I stopped hanging around. Um, The girls that I did hang around from the children's ministries, going into the youth ministry. It just felt quite lonely, and I was just angry and hurt. I wanted nothing to do with um, the church like that. I didn't stop going on Sunday, but I started sitting in the balcony. I no longer sat with the youth on the floor, and I was just hurt because I think that is the experience of a lot of black people in the world. And we experience it in the working world. Like I remember when I interned at the White House, and I was in presidential scheduling on a team with three other white girls. And they started going out to lunch together, they didn't invite me, they would say, so how did you get here? The same way you got here, I applied. (laughs) Um, So those, those are like, Okay, America isn't black bathrooms, white bathrooms anymore of segregation, but there is a distinct difference of treatment. I think uh, in the working world, and if there is a you know some minorities who happen to go to predominantly white churches or be in predominantly white um, organizations, that there is a different treatment, and I think for whites they're in this bubble where they think, oh, yeah, it was integration, and it stopped. Injustices are abroad now, and yeah, that that's my experience of uh, growing up as a Black person in America, and it, it can be hard, and I think the only way for Americans to get past these things of this injustice this racial injustice that that's still there is for people to befriend people of all cultures to to be active and make sure that you have friendships like deep friendships of people from different socioeconomic classes and different races because then you'll be able to you know you'll have a different mindset and a different you know view of things I think that's the only way kind to, to move, to move past, you know, our, our wounds. And sadly enough, America is still very much, you know, white friends and black friends. Um, It's getting better and it has gotten better. I would say in our lifetime too, but you don't find so much a mixing of friends. I don't know, would you say that? Like, in, in your experience as a, a white person? Do you... I would say, so especially living in
1: a larger city, I feel like it has become easier to have friends from more various backgrounds um, that just feel more natural. Whereas, truly if you went somewhere like where we grew up it would take a good deal of intentionality i think to to build a diverse network um so yeah and that makes it tricky too because like groupthink is a huge thing that needs to be overcome and if you don't have those different perspectives in your network, then you're just gonna kind of think how you've always thought um, without that really intentional outreach to learn those stories and learn those perspectives. Um, So yeah, I I think I would agree with you. There are a lot of places where it's, you still kind of see that natural
0: separation. And being white, how how is it when you get around your white friends? Is there talk negatively about non-whites? Do people make comments? Is there this active, uh, how do I say it, like this this active segregated mindset amongst whites, or is just something you don't talk about? So I.
1: I definitely wouldn't say that there's active negative speak. And another thing that I've been learning about, which is really interesting, um, is I was watching this class on um, race the other day. And it was, or sorry, I was reading this book. um, And it was just saying that sometimes the most dangerous people are the middle-class silent whites that aren't like outwardly racist or bashing other people, but the ones that don't acknowledge it and don't pursue those conversations because, um, in doing that, you're just letting the status quo continue, and it is obvious that the status quo is something that we need to, um, change and shake up, and so I would say that I would, I would call it more of a, um, blissful ignorance than an actual, like, negative conversation surrounding race I
0: see so it's it's really that bubble uh aspect where maybe a predominantly white America um is just not talking about these issues they think that it ended with integration and that there's not a problem but they're not racist though. So like they don't I would say the average white person doesn't mind going to happy hour with, you know, mixed group of people and you know having friends that are non-white. I when I think of America, white Americans, the ones that I've come into contact, it's people like you. It's not like the Dylan Roofs who are trying to, you know, kill black people. Um, it's probably just there's not no one talking about it so yeah it's okay everything's fine yeah so that's why i've truly really been
1: grateful for this conversation over the last few weeks which is um you know you also have to recognize like your privilege in not having to face these conversations until someone makes it unavoidable you know and Um, so I actually have been having a lot of conversations with my white friends about how did we get here and, like, where, where does this actually come from and what is the history behind it and, like, what have we been missing? Um,
0: and how how, how did we get here? What are, what are some of the examples? So,
1: Something that I found extremely helpful was a documentary on Netflix called 13th. Mm-hmm. And um have you had a chance to watch it yet? I know, but I know it I need to watch it. It it just like defined a lot of things in a really clear and helpful way from a lot of just really important voices in the black community and basically explained you know we've we had slavery and got rid of that but then truly the the ideals behind slavery never really went away Mm -hmm. and so then that moved into Jim Crow and then um we started fighting this war on crime but crime was just a substitution for black people and so you see this imbalance of policing on black communities and truly if i look at the way that i considered some of those black communities that had higher crime rates i was just a product of marketing if the news tells me that crime is high in this area and then that's what I believe and that kind of shapes the way that you think about people and so I've really been challenging myself to reframe those narratives and figure out what was just um the way that things were communicated to me and it's crazy too when you just see people in power talking about the way that they want to um, oppress communities and because coming from a place of of privilege when like i'm i don't get nervous when i get stopped by the cops i'm like let me see how i can get out of this Mm -hmm. and i like turn on my charm and see like turn it into a little game like that's my relationship with the police and um, that's just not the not the case, and not how um not the way that they approach me is not the way that they approach a lot of the black people, man. yeah, yeah, um so yeah it's it's just been like a bit of a film being lifted and greater understand or i would say like tip of the iceberg beginning of understanding Mm -hmm. of um just a lot a lot of terrible
0: injustice yeah yeah it and i i can relate to you about like the relationship with the police because as a black woman i have your mindset Mm -hmm. Um, that gosh what how do I get out of this because they're not killing black women the way they are black men but then I thought my gosh what if my father gets stopped or a cousin or a friend or I've had a lot of black British male friends say to me I'm scared to go to America because if I get pulled over I don't want to die like they're scared to go as a tourist and that Kind of made me think like wow I never thought about it and is the United States prepared if a black European or a black from another country comes over and a cop shoots them are they prepared for the international backlash that 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 would cause especially if a lot of black foreign men started getting killed in America it, it kind of puts it into perspective And then when you see the prison statistics of the number of black men in prison, but then when we see Breonna Taylor getting killed, then I thought, oh gosh, I'm a black woman. That's terrible. I don't want that happening to me. Um, I think it, it starts largely with individuals, with our hearts and opening up our eyes to the reality of things. And then racism is not a skin color issue. It's a heart issue. I know that not everybody is a Christian, but it, I think everybody can sit and think like, what kind of world do I want? And then that's gonna you know, be with me, looking at my own heart and how I see people and loving people. Um, We all have to look into our own hearts these days. And then the media, which controls a lot of how we, we view the world, also has to change the content that they are pushing out in front of us. Movies, news media, radio, magazines, all of it. And then I think the practical steps is that I don't know, like when I think of that White House example, if you put a Black person on an intern team with three whites, maybe change that up a little bit. Like maybe do two whites and two Indians or, you know, make it multi-culti where, you know, and having more Blacks come in into intern positions where it's not predominantly white over non-whites. and it's also um, making friends, deciding that I want to have friends of people who don't look like me or come from my same, you know, background, race, and all of it. Travel well, not all of us can travel the world, but having served Syrian refugees in Lebanon, it opens my eyes to the need of, of sitting with the poor and being there with those who are. are are put out of their country because of war, we all have to try. Yeah, I think that, yeah,
1: truly that last statement, like we all have to try. And I think for um, white people in America, that starts with recognize, like admitting the fact that you may have unconsciously done hurtful things and admitting the fact that this entire race of people in our country is telling you that they're oppressed and just because you don't feel that and you haven't experienced it we have to start listening and conversing um just like you said and I mean, I just think of what you said at church, of uh, the music minister just walking away. How are we, how are we supposed to solve anything? Of course you responded in the way you did. Of course you did. What other option did you have? Yeah. You know, when we don't listen, that just, compresses things into it would explode and of course that's it solves it solves nothing but it explains why this has been an ongoing conversation because white people just don't feel it and so it's easy for them to dismiss it
0: and yeah we have to we have to listen and we've all been suppressed for 400 years. Um, the whites have been suppressed in the sense that imagine during the slavery era, white masters treated slaves inappropriately. Not only did they have to work through labor, a lot of the women got raped. And so that's a product in my family. And so what can you do when you're a black slave woman and the master or overseer comes knocking on your shack at night and you have to follow him and your husband, though slaves weren't legally recognized as being married, they did marry. Um, and your husband can't say anything because he'd be shot. And then the, the master's his wife in the big house can't say anything because she's a woman and if she challenges her husband I guess she'll be physically handled physically abused by him so everyone's been quiet for 400 years keeping it inside so and I think that's a a parallel to the minister of music like what do you do as a white man in your I don't know 40s 50s and you've got this 13, 14-year-old Black girl saying, I'm being called the N-word and in a swimming pool being pushed under the water and I can't breathe. Like, how do you handle it in, what was this, maybe early 2000s, late 1990s? Yeah, I think everybody's been suppressed, especially in the American South, you know, because that's been our history for so long that people don't know how to to start discussing these things. And I went on the church website last night, actually, it all the staff is white. Mm. And there needs to, you know, change comes with, okay, you, you, you repent, you recognize that there's been a lot of wrong, like Anna Wintour with American Vogue, a lot of fashion magazines have come out saying, okay, that's great, you've come out. So what is going to be the tangible change That means you've got to hire more people of color. That means the church we grew up in needs to hire, you know, fill these positions with non-whites, Indians, Arab Christians, you know, they've got the qualifications. So then that way the church can start seeing an associate pastor that's family comes from India, you know, Um, and that will begin to change the mindset. Um, Yeah of people. Um it's a slow process, but while it's slow, it needs to be some fast movement where we don't need to be talking too long. Um yeah. but yeah, okay, now we're gonna diversify our staffs and so on yeah. and so forth.
1: Yeah, I love that thought too because I think one of the things that I've I haven't really known how to reconcile is that um Like, we can see maybe why. Because, you know, you go to the South, and for the most part, schools are unofficially segregated. You have the more black high schools. You have the more white high schools. Um, But historically, you can look and see how um, redlining and white flight and things like that created that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you kind of are limited to go to school where your district is and all those things so but one thing that I haven't been able to really reconcile is the fact that the churches are very much still segregated and because that that's something that you choose no one is making you go to a specific church but yet our comfort still lies with people that look the most like us. Um, And so I really appreciate your solution at starting from the head of leadership within the church and creating more diversity, especially somewhere like where we live where there's not a ton of really intentional diversity um, to then start influencing the minds of congregants and the way that we um, more actively seek equity, I think, instead of just kind of passively staying as we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think, do you wish, or do you think there's something that you wish blacks could understand? Like while blacks have a lot to be heard about, Um, I feel Blacks are very emotional about the issue, and many Blacks are racists themselves. Now, I maybe a lot of that racism just comes from how they've been treated by whites, but I think that if things had been equal from the beginning, you'd still have Blacks who are racist, just as you'd have whites who are racist and so forth. Um, But I think that for Black people, there's a lot for us to take away and having understanding hearts um not being overly emotional although we have a lot to be heard about and to voice our hurts about do you do you wish or is there something that you can think of that it would, we could learn or from your perspective being white american if yeah. we close our mouths and listen you know Um,
1: well, to be fair, I think we're the ones that need to close our mouths and listen a little bit. Um, but
0: I, that's a really good question. And maybe you don't have an answer now. Maybe it's something you need to. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just,
1: we don't know what we don't know. Um, And I don't want that to feel like an excuse either, because um, it's we, you know, should be pursuing justice and well-being for our fellow man and loving our neighbor. Um, But we don't always know because it's not an experience that we have had to face. And so I truly am grateful for, I mean, your willingness to share your experience when I was probably the likelihood that I was in a room or a nearby room when that was happening to you is very high. And yet I had no idea. And so I just appreciate the grace and, um, the time and, and, I've heard a lot of conversation that just has been talking about how it's not up to Black people to educate white people. And while I do agree with this, I don't think that all of our Black friends should just start getting all these calls and they're like, okay, so from the top. Um, and I. We also just, like, we have a lot to learn as well. And so I'm just grateful for grace through that process because it's definitely some something that um, I'm on the front end of learning about, and, and there's a lot to do, and there's a lot to learn. And, I mean, thanks to... Um, amazing activists. There's a lot of resources that we can glean from, and a lot of people in the Black community who have already published a ton of amazing resources that we wanna, that I wanna, dive into. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit
0: of my initial reaction. I hope that as a nation we start taking practical steps on working on this issue. I was talking with a friend who lives in Sydney in Australia and she said for two years now they start official meetings and official functions with like this kind of like their pledge of allegiance of We recognize that this land doesn't belong to us, that we took it, but that the original owners were Aborigines, and something like that, that is said before official functions. And I think that if the U.S. did something like that, where it would get ingrained in the younger generation, so by the time they're 80, 90 years old, when you keep having to say this memorized text, you know, that well, the land belonged to the Native Americans, and then that we recognize that slavery was wrong, that, you know, we're all one, blah, blah, blah. It's practical things like that that can change the mindset of a nation. Companies need to be active in having diverse staffs from the top of the sea level down to the janitorial staff. Um, I really just hope that we take practical steps and that we don't sit in the talking stage too long. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. I
1: I love that um Australian pledge because it also just I mean it not only reinforces and kind of honors the history of the people who were unjustly treated but it also is just a daily reminder like i just think of um this scripture like we bring nothing into this world and we take nothing out of it um which is a challenge to like why why build this like singular pillar of a kingdom when we could be um casting a wide net and catching all the people in our in our wake and really just raising the tide for everyone um yeah I'm there's again I'm still learning but I'm excited at the some of the proposals for um some different like budgets and bills and things that are on the horizon so to your point I it has to move into action and we're still I feel like we're still kind of I feel like I'm pre-action at this point and I'm still just like absorbing and learning um but yeah I I totally agree we gotta take those steps forward and it'll look different and and don't Lean on lawmakers to do everything and make the change, you know, like, I feel like living in DC, it's all about policies and bills and blah, 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 but you are a change agent and you have it in your capacity to affect your surround. Um, So in whatever ways we can start that today, then i'm here for it
0: yeah yeah it's 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 everybody coming to the table using whatever their gifts and talents are to bring light to this issue and yeah i just hope that we as a a nation try and do that and that it yields some fruit do you think our generation are going to be the ones to really kind of begin to put a a dent in this issue and, and the ones, both sure. yeah, yeah, I'm yeah.
1: yeah, same. I'm, I'm very hopeful. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. I think on the government level, when policies and bills are enacted, that begins to change, I don't know, gentrification or, um, Uh, Blacks being subjugated in the way that they don't have opportunities and access because of the way that their neighborhoods are, like that comes from a a local government needs to work on that. Um, And I think when those things begin to shift, and that we don't see so many Black men in prison for things that they didn't do, and that Blacks are getting movie roles and, you know, people non-whites are getting you know equal you know at the table of all these industries then it will be easier for us on the the regular level to to do little things podcasts and you know whatever yeah to bring attention
1: yeah i'm i'm very hopeful for for sure very hopeful and um can't you know it can't stop at hope so yeah. just figuring out those like daily next steps
0: yeah exactly and i think one thing i realized that and i think this is something that should get the attention of the church is that i've heard for a long time that black people have said jesus is your the white man's god i don't want anything to do with him because i don't see the white man acting like Jesus. He's this this made-up figure for the, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's so disheartening (laughs) because um, the Godhead loves all people. And I think that we have to be aware as the church, no matter your race, that we need to start loving each other because the church needs to be leading on this race issue. And it would be a shame to get to heaven before God or just standing before God on judgment day for the members of the church who were not looking like Jesus. And then other people believing that, you know, people's perception of the Lord, people who didn't come to the Lord because they saw in us not looking like Jesus, that it turned away those who could have made it in yeah you know, I think that should be a very strong thing on the mind of the church that we need to look like Christ so we become attractive to the world so that people yeah. want a relationship with the Lord. I mean, everybody has to stand before God on their own two feet, so a black person who didn't come to the Lord because that's the white man's God. there's no excuse, you know we all have to to stand before God on our own feet, but how sad it is when people are turned off by faith in Jesus, because, yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more, for sure. I, the, I mean, the church as a whole has caused a lot of pain in people's lives, because it's made up of people that are broken, and fallen, and sinful, and think god for his restoration and for grace and for newness of life um but it is a tragedy when the brokenness of people gets put on the person of jesus because he he did take our brokenness but then he abolished it and was everything we could ever hope to be, and I mean, my prayer is just that, in spite of ourselves, Jesus's truth and love and grace can shine through and and be life to people. Um, but yeah, it as far as you know, sharing that love with the world like we gotta we have to be pursuing it we have to be reflecting um his love because how else would they see it
0: exactly and i and i'm very hopeful like you were saying earlier that we are waking up you know this has been a hard year for the world and i do believe god is resetting the church he's resetting human beings to look at what's Mm -hmm. most important with all the deaths that we've had. And then now our country is having challenges and other countries, Hong Kong, Lebanon, are starting with their own domestic issues. And I think God is like, you know, shaking, resetting humanity to focus on what's real and what's important. And um, I'm hopeful that we're gonna be coming out of this stronger and with better hearts absolutely yeah and just seeking the Lord through it you know and
1: like that's really our only option is you know seek the Lord and come out stronger or not and then like what's what's it for yeah
0: exactly yeah, but this has been a, a really, you know, good chat because I I believe you, like most Americans, white or black or whatever your ethnicity is, is that we, we want a better America and we care. And it starts with sitting down and talking. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: yeah, I'm really grateful for... Um, the invitation and i'm really grateful for your perspective and and opening up those parts of a shared experience on on as far as like the activities were concerned but actually like two different lives and realities that were existing in a parallel space um and it, it does just open the eyes more to what it's actually been like for our brothers and sisters who are black in America and, you know, especially where we're
0: from. So truly grateful for you. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. The trick is not to be bitter, but to be better and uh, to to remain hopeful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Katie, for joining. Of course. Thank you so much. Of course. I hope you enjoyed this podcast conversation and that it fed you in some way to pursue your own dreams. Be sure to subscribe to Zayla Mag at zaylamag.com, S-E-E-L-E-M-A-G.com, where you'll be automatically entered to win our giveaways. And follow us on Instagram at Zayla Magazine, S-E-E-L-E Magazine. Till next time.